Well, I can't think of a better lineup of songs to go with what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's awesome. We've been singing quite a few Christmas songs this morning, so I want to, I want to start us off this morning by, by asking you this. When you think about Christmas songs, what images often come to mind? Maybe you think of chestnuts roasting on an open fire or sleigh rides in the snow or a Christmas tree with lovely branches. Maybe some of you more spiritual people, you think about the uh, baby Jesus in the manger or shepherds on a hillside or angels on high. But let me ask you this question. How many of you think about a mighty king coming to save? a crucified Lord, a risen Savior. Now, some of you hear that, and you may be thinking, uh, I think you're thinking about Easter, Graham. I mean, isn't Easter when we sing about those things? When we sing about salvation? I mean, Christmas is more about Jesus' birth, right? His beginnings on earth. I mean, that's the way many of us tend to think. We, when we think of Christmas, we, we think about the birth of Jesus and just the, the beginnings of his earthly ministry. And when we think about Easter, a lot of us tend to think that's a bit more significant spiritually because it's about the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's about salvation. And when we sing songs this time of year, we often tend to focus in on that night when Jesus was born and the details surrounding that event. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's, that's a good thing to, to focus on this event. But what I said last week was that the Christmas songs that I prefer this time of year are songs that tell about the significance of that event. Not so much songs like Away in a Manger, No Crib for a Bed, The Little Lord Jesus Laid Down His Sweet Head, but songs that say, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild, God and Sinner Reconciled. And I'm sorry if I ruined Away in a Manger for some of you, but in my opinion, Christmas songs like we've been singing this morning Songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Joy to the World are better by far because Christmas is so much more than a story about a baby in a barn. It's about God coming down and taking on flesh. It's more than a story about a significant historical event. It's a story about the most important event in all of human history. Christmas is more than a celebration of the birth of a, an, an important historical figure. It's the celebration of our salvation that was made possible because God the Son left the riches of heaven and took on flesh and dwelt among us and lived for us and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this morning, we're going to look at a Christmas song that I 
believe really gets at this. And here's the thing about this Christmas song. Like the song we looked at last week, though you may have read this song through a time or two, maybe you even did a a study on it. This is not a song that you're going to hear on the radio this time of year, and it's not a song that's going to be sung during our song service. But this song, like Mary's song we looked at last week, really captures the significance of this event, of the Christmas story. So let's look at it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. We are going to tackle another large passage of Scripture this week. We're going to be looking at verses 57 through 80 of Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be talking about Zachariah's Christmas song. Zachariah's song. Now, For you to really understand this song, we have to understand what happened to Zechariah earlier in this chapter. I made mention of him a few times last week, but let me summarize what happened to Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, and in the first part of Luke 1, he is approached by the angel Gabriel in the temple. And he is told that he is going to have a son who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he's talking, of course, about John the Baptist, right? And Zechariah questions Gabriel, which is ultimately questioning God, right? Because Gabriel is his messenger, and as a punishment for Zechariah's unbelief, Gabriel says, your wife's still going to have a son, but because of your unbelief, God is going to remove your ability to speak. And he does. So Zechariah is left unable to communicate verbally. Yet in the latter half of Luke chapter 1, we have this wonderful and worshipful song of praise from him. So what happens with this reluctant and skeptical priest? How is his voice restored? And what leads him to sing this wonderful and worshipful Christmas song? Well, we find our answer in verses 57 through 66. Look at it with me. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, Zechariah did, and wrote, his name is John. All right, so let's stop there for just a minute. Now, I don't know this for sure, but my guess is this had been a long, hard nine months for Zechariah, right? What do you think? The Lord had taken away his ability to speak. So he was unable to speak for nine months or more. And think about this. He would have had a ton of things to say. I mean, he had a lot on his mind. I mean, think about what's going on in his life. First, he's having a son. We're we're told earlier in this chapter that Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were old. And for the longest time, were unable to have kids, though they tried time and time again. And though they prayed about it for years, they were unable. And in this day, for a Jewish family, this was devastating. I know it is for many couples today, but even more so in this culture with the Jews at this time. So when Elizabeth, his wife, conceives, I'm sure Zechariah is on cloud nine. 
and would have loved to be able to talk about it with his friends and with his family and with his wife, but he could not. Notice in this passage that after his son is born, his neighbors and members of his own family are are meeting with Elizabeth to rejoice with her. And I'm sure Zechariah would have loved to be able to vocalize the joy he was feeling, but he could not. I'm sure it was very, very difficult for him. Another reason this would have been difficult for Zechariah is because of what he had been told about this child. This newborn who everyone was rejoicing over had a special calling on his life before his birth. And I'm sure Zechariah, a priest who knew a little something about special callings, would have loved to have shared with his friends and family about his encounter with Gabriel and about what his son had been put on earth to do and about the other special child who was going to be born that his son was going to direct people toward. But again, he could not. So I imagine this was very, very tough for him. But all of that changes shortly after John's birth. Notice that when it came time to circumcise the child, the neighbors and relatives sought to name him after his father, but Elizabeth insisted that his name was to be John. And this completely floored those in the group. They basically said, why would you do that? Why John? You don't have anybody in your family by that name. Why John? And they turned to Zechariah and he gets a tablet out and he writes down that the child's name is to be John. And after writing this, we're told that God restores Zechariah's speech and notice the first words out of Zechariah's mouth are praise. It's, it's a word of praise to the Lord. Look at verse 64 through 66. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. I imagine so. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, though the angel had told Zechariah He was going to be able to speak once again when these promises were fulfilled. My guess is that many of his friends and relatives thought that Zechariah's condition was permanent. So when his voice is restored miraculously, those who witnessed it were in awe. And, And they knew the moment after it happened, there is something special about this child. Now, chances are good that that each and every one of them, they they had heard about this boy and about the fact that he was going to be special. In fact, Luke alludes to that. But it wasn't until they witnessed this miracle with Zechariah and viewed it in connection with the birth of his son, John, that they were truly convinced. And Luke tells us that in response, they began going out and spreading the word that the hand of the Lord was on this family and especially with this Child, And I want to draw your attention to something we learn about Zechariah here as well. Like I said earlier, the reason Zechariah was in this situation was due to his lack of faith. He failed to trust in the promises of God and he paid the price for it. But Luke shows us here that through this difficult time in Zechariah's life, God had been doing a great work in him. And God can and does work through difficult times, doesn't he? to grow us 
and make us more like, like Jesus. During those months of silence, God had been growing and maturing Zechariah. And when the opportunity presented itself to him again, he didn't squander that opportunity, did he? He showed true and genuine faith. Remember the angel Gabriel had told Zechariah that he was going to have a son and that he was to name him John, but he didn't believe at first. He didn't trust in God's promise. But when given another opportunity, he doesn't miss the chance to express genuine faith in this great promise. When asked the name of this child, what this child's name is to be, Zechariah communicates without hesitation to the group, his name is to be John. And notice here that by saying this, what Zechariah is doing is he is expressing the fact that he now believes in the message of the angel Gabriel. He now trusts in God's great promise. He now believes that God had given him a son who is going to be great before the Lord and who is going to direct the way toward the great one. You know, I know this is where Zechariah's heart is because of what's recorded next. The following verses... In verses 67 through 80, Luke records for us another great song of praise. We looked at Mary's song last week. Now let's look at Zechariah's song. And notice what makes this song such a wonderful and worshipful song. Notice first, Zechariah's song is a song of redemption. It's a song of redemption. Look at verse 68. Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Notice here that as Zechariah thinks about the arrival of his son and the coming of the Messiah, redemption is what comes to mind. And notice his great faith. He says in the past tense, God has visited and has redeemed his people. Remember earlier in this chapter we said Zechariah questioned God when his message, uh, messenger Gabriel came to him. Said that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son. But notice here how much Zechariah has matured. Jesus has not yet been born, yet he is speaking of the salvation he's going to accomplish in the past tense. He says, God has visited and has redeemed his people. Zechariah's mentality is this. If God has promised it, it's as good as done. Folks, that's what faith is. It's personal and complete trust in the promises of God. And that's exactly what Zechariah shows us here. So when thinking about the arrival of his son... And the coming of the Messiah, redemption is what's on Zechariah's mind. And that should be our focus as well. When we think of Christmas, when we think of the promise made to Joseph and Mary, and when we think of the birth in a barn in Bethlehem, when we think about Jesus' birth and his beginnings on earth this time of year, the cross should be on our minds. What Tim prayed this morning was right on. When we think of Christmas, we should think of Christ coming to earth. And when we think of Christ coming to earth, what should come to our minds is the salvation that he is coming to accomplish for us. The reason he has come, the reason God the Son emptied himself and took on flesh is to save us. One of my favorite Christmas songs this time of year is, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Listen to these lyrics. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. 
from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Folks, that's why Jesus came. He was born to set God's people free. He was born to deliver his people. He was born to release us from our sin. He was born to rescue us from our desperate state. He was born to reign in us forever. That's what the Christmas story is all about. It's about redemption coming down. And Zechariah very much understands this, and so should we. I know I've said this before this time of year, and I'm sure I'll say it again and again, Christmas after Christmas. When we think about Christmas, what should come to our minds immediately is what Jesus came to do. He came to free us. He came to deliver us. He came to release us. He came to save us. He came to reign in us. So Zachariah's song is a wonderful and worshipful song because it's a song of redemption. Notice also it's a song of power. Look at verse 69. Zechariah says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This verse reminds us of how God is going to redeem his people and how is he going to do it? With power. With power. Verse 68 He says God has redeemed his people. And in verse 69, he explains how. How is that, Zechariah? How is he going to redeem us? Here's how. He says God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now that phrase, you heard it read earlier, right? In the the passage Bill read to us. That's an Old Testament phrase that is used by David when he's being chased by King Saul and is rescued by God. He says in Psalm 18, you'll read it in your scripture reading this week. Make sure you read that, that chapter. He says, God is my rock, my refuge. He is the horn of my salvation. And here Zechariah is using that phrase again as a picture or a symbol of strength, just like David used it, like the, the horn of an animal, like a, a ram. I, uh, from a young age, I've, I've been a big sports fan. And uh, when I was younger, I liked teams for different reasons than why I like them today. I liked them because, you know, I liked the team with the coolest uniform. You know, those who had the coolest uniform, that's the team I liked. Uh, When I was little, I liked the Cincinnati Bengals because I just thought their uniform was cool, even though I was raised to be a Cowboys fan. Uh, another team that I really thought was cool was the Los Angeles Rams. I have a picture of their, their uh, uniform up on the screen here. And uh, they're, they're in uh, St. Louis now. But, but the reason I like them is because I just thought their uniforms looked cool. I mean, they just looked tough. They just looked intimidating. Go to the next slide. This is one of the reasons why they look so intimidating is because they had Eric Dickerson as their running back, all right? It's especially intimidating watching him wear that. But But... You'll notice on the side of their helmet, there's a a ram, and there's a ram on their sleeve. And the reason they do that is because the ram horn is a sign of power. It's a sign of power, okay? And what Zechariah is saying here is that God has offered up a horn of salvation. That's how God has redeemed us, with power. He has raised up a horn of salvation. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior. So notice here that Zechariah's Christmas song is a song of power. It's a song of strength. His song is not about a little Lord Jesus laying down his sweet head. 
It's about a mighty Savior, a conquering King. It's about King Jesus, the horn of our salvation. So Zechariah's Christmas song is a song of power. The child born in Bethlehem is the King who is going to conquer sin and death. He is going to undo the consequences of the fall. He's going to reverse the curse. He's coming to accomplish our salvation. He's coming in strength. He's coming in power. He's coming as our Lord. He's coming to rule and to reign. And guess what? For those of you all who prefer emphasizing the sweetness of the event and sort of over-sentimentalizing Jesus' birth, you're hard-pressed to find that emphasis at all in Scripture. What you find more often than not are verses like this in Luke 169 that emphasize the power and the strength of the Christmas story. Why? Because Christmas is about salvation. It's about salvation. It's about God raising up a horn of salvation for us. It's about Him sending us a mighty Savior to conquer sin and death, and to make us right with him once again. So, Zechariah's song is a song of power. It's also a song of fulfillment. It's a song of fulfillment. Another reason Zechariah's song is a great song is because it accurately shows how these events at Christmas are fulfillments of prophecy from long ago. The accounts of John's Birth and the coming of the Messiah are not a series of surprising, unexpected, unforeseen events. These are fulfillments of promises that God made. Look at, look at verse 69 again. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Now, get this, folks. It's not by coincidence nor by random chance that King Jesus is born into the family of King David. You realize that? That's a fulfillment of Scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 7, when, when God promised David that one of his descendants was going to sit on his throne forever. Zechariah here is telling us that God's horn of salvation, his mighty Savior, his forever king that he promised David hundreds of years earlier is coming, and he is going to be born into the family of David. And folks, Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise made to King David. Jesus is also the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham. Look at verse 70 through 74. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. What Zechariah is saying here is that the events surrounding the coming of Messiah into the world, which of course end in his death, Burial, resurrection, and ascension is a direct fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, specifically the promise God made to Abraham. In Genesis 12, remember? God promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And through that nation, all nations will be blessed. And he repeats that promise in Genesis 15, 17, and 22. And here in Luke 1, Luke is recording this song of Zechariah, where Zechariah is reminding us that these events, Jesus coming into the world and coming the, the coming of his son John, who will direct people toward Jesus, they are fulfillments of God's promises to Abraham. Christmas should remind us 
of a faithful God. Our God is faithful. He keeps his promises. So Zechariah's song, it addresses the fact that the Christmas story is an old story, older than, than Zechariah's time. It goes way back. In fact, it's been the plan from the very beginning. God told Adam and Eve in the garden that from the seed of Eve, not the seed of Adam, because Jesus is virgin born, but from the seed of the woman, Jesus was going to come and he was going to crush Satan. That's Genesis 3.15, folks. First book of the Bible, chapter 3. So Zechariah realizes that this promise is of old. That's why I, I love the, the old hymn that, that some sing this time of year. You may not be for, familiar with it, but it's For Unto Us a Child is Born. Y'all familiar with that song? It's from Handel's Messiah. I love that song. Listen to the lyrics. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know where that's taken from? Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, written hundreds of years before the coming of Christ. With this song, Handel is stressing the fact that this event, the Christmas story, the story of our Savior's birth is a fulfillment of a promise God made long, long ago. And the writers of the New Testament, they go to great lengths to stress this as well. They go to great lengths to stress the fact that the Christmas story is not just a story of God's mercy and grace and love, though it, though it is those things, but they also stress the fact that the Christmas story is a story of God's faithfulness. God has been faithful to his people. He has kept every one of his promises and all of his promises find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. You know what song we should be singing this time of year? Great is thy faithfulness. Christmas should remind us that our God is faithful. Not only that, not only is Christmas a time when we're to be reminded of God's faithfulness to us, but it's also a time that we need to be reminded that just as God has been faithful to us, we are to in turn be faithful to him. Zacharias says that. He brings out some points of application here. Look at verse 74 and 75. He says that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him for how long? All our days faithful. Zechariah is clear here. God has been faithful to provide salvation for us. And what we're to do in return is we are to be faithful to him. We are to live our lives for him in Christ all of our days. So Zechariah's song is a song of redemption. It's a song of power. It's a song of Fulfillment, And lastly, it's also a song centered on Christ. Look at verses 76 through 80. And you, child, Zechariah is talking to his son here. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to 
Israel. So notice here, Zechariah finally gets around to answering the question that everyone was asking about his son. Remember, they were asking, what, what is this child going to be? What, what role does God have for him? And notice, instead of Zechariah just focusing all the attention on himself and saying, as for my son, let me tell you about my son. He's going to be great before the Lord. He's going to be the greatest prophet the world's ever known. He's going to play a pivotal role in God's kingdom story. Now, are those things true? Yes, but notice here, instead, Zechariah does what his son does later on in ministry and what his wife did in, in the passage we looked at last week when she was with Mary. He deflects the focus away from himself and from his son and from his family and he redirects the focus toward the Savior. Notice he doesn't refer to his son as a highly exalted prophet, but rather prophet of the Most High. He he doesn't say, my son is going to do great things, but he says, my son is going to prepare the way for the great one, the mighty Savior. He says, he will give light to those who sit in darkness. He will guide our feet into the way of peace because he is going to show the way and direct people toward the Savior to come. Basically says this story is not ultimately about me or my family or my son. It's all about Jesus. He basically says here, the only thing special about my son is that he is going to direct people to Christ. May that be said of us as well. Right? The only thing special about us is to be that we're to be directing people toward Jesus. That's the, that's the most special thing about us. Are you doing that? Are you directing people to Jesus? Are you, are you showing people the way to him, to be made right with him? Like we said last week, Zechariah, like his wife Elizabeth and son John, is not about Zechariah. He's all about Jesus. And folks... The application for us is very, very simple. We're to be all about Jesus all the time. We're to be like, like I said uh, uh, a while back, we're, we're to be flashing arrows, pointing to Jesus. That's to be our life. It's what we're to be doing. We're to be directing people toward the one who has come and has accomplished our salvation, our King our Lord. We're to be directing people toward Him. Especially around Christmas time, right? I mean, we have have a tendency this time of year to just get, we get caught up in all the the, the glitz and the, and the, and the rush of, of this season and we put all of our energy toward that, what we're getting for the kids and, and, and our time with family and we should be devoting time to that. Don't hear me say that you shouldn't, but listen, first and foremost, this time is to be focused upon Christ. It's a shame this season is all about Him and many of us believers, we hardly even think about Him because we get caught up in in, in everything else. Zachariah's focus here is on point because it's on Jesus. Though people are asking about his son, he chooses to focus on the Savior. May that be said of you this year. This Christmas, I want to challenge you. Make your focus Jesus. Make your focus Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you know, 
be honest, my focus at Christmas has never been upon Jesus. And the reason why is because you don't, you don't know him personally. If that's you here this morning, I, I pray that changes this morning. Folks, whether you like it or not, whether the world likes it or not, this here is what Christmas is all about. The Christmas story is a story of salvation. It's a story of God fulfilling a promise he made long ago from the beginning that he was going to redeem a fallen world and a broken people by sending his son. It's the story of God the Son, Jesus, taking on flesh for us, to live for us in our place. It's a story of him laying down his life dying a death that we deserve to die and conquering sin and death through his death so that we, through his life and death and burial and resurrection, through faith in him, could be made right with God and be saved, be rescued from our desperate situation and have life in Christ's name. That's the Christmas story. And for those of you here this morning who have turned from your sin... You placed your faith alone in Christ alone. This is your story. But if you have not, listen, this can be your story this morning. No better time to do it than right now. If you have not, I urge you today, turn from your sin. Give your life up and over to the Lord Jesus. Trust in Christ alone. Trust in his person. Trust in his finished work alone for your salvation and be saved. Would you pray with me?